Well, good morning, Grace Church. How's everyone doing out there today? Can we just celebrate with those getting baptized one more time? I'm so proud of them. <clears throat> we just declare goodness and favor upon them today, and taking this next step of obedience is no uh, simple choice. And so we stand behind them and just pray for them. And then those of you that are here today for that reason, you're coming to celebrate with your family. Just a huge welcome to you. I know that it brings out family members to help celebrate, and we're just so thankful that you are here. Um, yeah, I, I was also just really thankful today for all the people who serve at Grace Church. I mean, this is quite an undertaking, right? And so it's a setup over there, beaming it up here, keep the water over there, all the, and all the people that are greeting, all the people that are serving coffee and in children's ministry, and the list is, is on and on. But can we just thank, thank God for those people that make it all happen? We're just so thankful for them again. <clears throat> um, it takes a lot just to, just to do this. And anyway, I'm just super thankful. So amen. You ready for the word? Amen. Would you all pray with me? Amen. Let's pause and say thank you, God, for, for your word, for life in the spirit. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, right? It's like a two-edged sword and it divides between uh, <clears throat> bone and marrow. And Lord, we thank you that your word would sink deep today and get into uh, the depths of who we are and the depths of who you are. And Lord, cause a transformation again from our innermost being. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right. Well, hey, we're going to finish up a series today um, that we started right before Easter. And our series is called It Is Finished or It Is Completed, right? And so we decided to to um, wrap it up today, and then we're going to move on to a brand new series next week, which I'm just excited about. It's called Mission Possible, not Mission Impossible. Do you like that? I thought it was pretty trendy. Um, <laughs> so Mission Possible, and then we're going to dive into all the, all the calling that is on Grace Church, you as a body. Come on, Grace Church is not a building, it's a people. Come on, somebody. That's another message. All right, but we're going to get into that, and then, and then we might just hang out there for a while and, and really start to unpack all of that God has for us in the future. But today, let's uh, finish up this series called It Is Finished, and um, it's taken from John 19, because Jesus is on the cross. It's the last thing he said before he gave up his spirit. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. And we've been saying, what's finished? What's done? What's completed, right? And so I've called this message forgiven. Somebody say forgiven. And we want to see um, the idea that I have been and am a forgiven person, son of God, daughter of God, as a completed work. Why is that so important? It's because if we don't see it that way, Come on, we're back to feelings. I feel forgiven one day and not the next day. Or I feel forgiven one moment and not the next moment. As opposed to I rest in the finished work of the cross and what he's completed is a done deal. Now my feelings have to come into alignment with the finished work of the cross. Amen? We could just stop right there and say, it is so, and then go home, right? But let me unpack that just for a few moments, because it's really important that forgiveness is seen as a finished work on his part, and I get to receive it again, believe it and receive it and apply it again and again and again. I would have to say that unforgiveness, um, the idea of forgiving others for their wrongdoings is something that is probably, for me, one of the, uh, maybe it's an Achilles heel, but one of the biggest strongholds that I had to, 
uh, break free from in my Christian walk. It would hang on, and I could hold a grudge for decades. You know, uh, uh, my culture, the culture that I grew up in, no offense, kind of gossipy, kind of grudge holding, kind of like remember what that person did 10 years ago, right? And nobody's in a culture like that, I'm sure. But that, that really was the culture I was raised in, and it was very common to remember the evil doings of a certain person, what they said, what they did, for years later. And so I'm coming out of that culture going, I, I sometimes struggle with just the idea of letting that go. And I want to talk about forgiveness a little bit more in depth. But, but listen, when I, when I realized in my Christian walk what he had done for me and that forgiveness on his part was a done deal and I could believe it, receive it, and apply it again and again. Guess what happens? Like how you then see others and deal with others becomes a gift that you received and a gift that you give. Does that make sense? You can't give something you haven't received. Try that. You can't give money that you haven't received. <laughs> Right? You can't give somebody a cup of coffee that you didn't first receive and, and, and first make, right? It's like you have to receive something and actually have something. You have to have something in order to give something, right? So it's something you first and foremost receive. The Father's forgiveness is not, a, it's not just wishful thinking. It's a reality that Jesus came to announce and then proclaim upon us, right? We're forgiven by the sheer goodness and mercy of our Heavenly Father. Let's read Colossians Starting at 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now listen, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We have it. It's been completed. And there's more verses that I could read, but for the sake of time, I want to deal with a tough verse. <laughs> Why are you going there right away? But it's a tough verse because there's verses that seem to contradict the finished work of the cross. How annoying someone, right? Let, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that if we can. Because in Matthew 6, 12, 15, it seems to make it conditional. Unless I behave myself, God can't behave himself. This is what it sounds like, all right? And it's, it's, it's like the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is in, this is in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And suddenly we're back in an Old Testament paradigm. Unless we do our part, he can't do his part, right? How many times, uh, if you think about Scripture in the New Testament, did Jesus kind of revert to like an Old Testament paradigm in order to reach that, right? So, so, so keep that in mind. And this is where I like to pause and say, let's allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. If it sounds confusing, read more Scripture, because it does interpret itself, and it does come out, I like to say come out in the wash, but it comes out in the spirit, like really the fullness of what he's saying. But I think it can also be better understood maybe with the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you ever read that one? That's in Matthew 18, starting at 21. I'm going to gloss over this a little bit for the sake of time, but, um, or, or maybe I'll just read it quickly. But therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's just a lot of money, right? I don't really know how much it was, just a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold into slavery with his wife and children. It's what they did at the time and all that he had and until the payment was made. Somebody say, how awful. But the servant 
He fell on his knees and imploring him, he says, have patience with me and I'll pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. Hallelujah, right? But when that same servant, now this same dude who just got forgiven of a lot of money, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's less money. He owed him less than what he was forgiven for, right? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he refused. And he went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he did to his servant what he got forgiven from, right? And then his master and... Um, then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant. Now it's coming back to haunt him, right? I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I take a deep breath like, whew, this is heavy stuff. Right? Is it conditional or is the finished work of the cross something we can, we can proclaim? Now, I want, I want to summarize and I think I want to try to bring some clarity to this because it's like an Old Testament paradigm hitting against a New Testament paradigm. And, 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 and I can say it a little bit like this. The way that we treat others shows what we actually personally believe and have received from God. And so if we're treating others along an Old Testament paradigm, meaning, meaning get your act together before I love you, forgive you, that means we haven't fully received the finished work of the cross, probably. Does that make sense? But we don't understand what he did for us. Why would I treat someone else differently? But when we understand what he did for us, we've received something. Now you turn and do it likewise. Again, you can't give something you haven't received. So where are you living, right? Does that make sense to somebody? And so I really think that's what it's pointing at. It's the same way that God talked about love. Like I think it's in 1 John 4.20. He says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. Like, whoa, you know, it's like, it's like no, you, you receive something. And likewise, it's expected that you're living from that revelation and then pointing that out towards your brother and sister. Amen. And that's really what he's getting at. So I know we don't like this, but our behavior toward others shows, shows what we believe about Father God. Amen. It's a revelation we're living in. And when we're missing that revelation, it shows up. <laughs> it shows up in, your, in how you treat your fellow man. Amen? I don't like that any more than you do. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Extending forgiveness to others is not always easy, and it's not always immediate. And actually, I'd like to even say this. It might even be, I think it actually is, an impossibility in your own strength. Why? I say again, you can't give what you haven't received. And so when you receive something, there's a supernatural interaction. I like to call it the divine exchange. Now you're empowered to do something that you otherwise uh, cannot do. Um, now let me pause and just share some notes with you because... Um, I really want this to be clear. 
Forgiveness does not mean that we just allow anything, don't set healthy boundaries with other people that are toxic. It doesn't mean that we condone abuse and ill behavior. You may have to sometimes separate from a person in order to not, you know, not experience abuse and all those kinds of things. However, however, it, it does mean that you still need to go on a journey to release it back to God. Forgiveness, and the way, that, and maybe we'll talk about it some more time more in depth, but forgiveness means that I, I cancel my debt. Now, I'm not the one that's, that's standing in that place of saying, you owe me. I give it back to God. God says, vengeance is mine. Let me deal with my kids. And then it's you saying, God, you deal with your kids. That's what I do when I'm a little offended. Offenses will come. Come on, somebody. Are you in this room saying, I've been offended once or twice in my life? You're not breathing if you haven't been. When I, when I get in that place, and I've been at that place, and it's probably a struggle, one of my biggest struggles that I've had in my Christian walk, but now I get to that place and I go, God, they're your kids, not mine. <laughs> you created them. You deal with them. <laughs> it's just my way of going, you know how to love them. And if you want to turn like, the, like a Saul, like the apostle, when he was Saul, a murderer, if you want to take Saul and turn him into Paul, that's your deal. If you want to do an Ananias and Sapphira type of thing and kill them on the spot, go for it. You know, <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <clears throat> But it's up to God, isn't it? God is the righteous judge and the jury and prosecutor. And I like that when I can just go, God, it's yours. Now I can live in freedom over here in forgiveness, right? But we, uh, Alicia and I have had to set, you know, proper boundaries around toxic people and all that. So I'm not just saying that forgiveness means we condone everything. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Okay, good, good. So, so then, <clears throat> excuse me, I brought water today. I felt a little scratchy. Pray for my throat. Devil wants to hurt my preaching voice. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach anyway. <laughs> so when I find it difficult to forgive someone, this is what I do. I return to the cross. You know, when the devil likes to remind me of my history, of my past, and I have one. We'll talk more about that someday, maybe. Um, there's some stories I won't ever tell you, <laughs> but I do have a past. And when the devil likes to remind me of my past, you know what I like to do? I like to look in the past all the way back to the cross. Thank you, devil, for making me look in the rearview mirror. Now I'm looking at the cross of Christ. And at the cross of Christ, he's declared some things over me. He said, you are loved. You are 100% forgiven. You are now a new covenant believer. You're a son. You're a daughter of the most high God. I don't care. You can make me look back, Satan, if you want to, because it makes me celebrate if I look back far enough. Come on. Because we are on this side of the finished work of the cross. And now I receive something again. And when I receive receive it again unto myself. Believe it, receive it, apply it. Amen. Now I have a gift to give someone again. Amen. And we need to do that every day sometimes. We need to do it tomorrow. And the next day, I choose to forgive. I, I, there's a pastor friend of mine, um, when we were talking about forgiveness one day, he said, I choose to forgive everybody who's hurt me in the past, everybody who will hurt me today, and all those people that are going to hurt me tomorrow. Amen. You know, you have a plan in place. Because things are going to happen. Offenses will come. We choose in advance to forgive. Because Jesus chose to forgive us way before you and I were born. How about that? He had us in mind when he was on that cross. It's our job to believe it, receive it, and apply it. Now, now when we live forgiven, we're going to live 
forgiven. When we live forgiven, here's what we experience. I picked out three things. It's, it affects our lives in some really amazing ways. And I wanted to just bring out three of those today. When we live as forgiven people, you have a mindset of forgiveness. Here's some of the things we experience. Number one, we experience freedom from sin. That's good news, somebody. We experience freedom from sin. Contrary to possibly popular thought, the consciousness of sin and going like this and saying naughty, naughty makes you walk away from sin. It actually doesn't, right? It actually makes you more rebellious. And actually pointing out sin makes you feel like more like a sinner. Now, you know, I, I'm, we have to do that. Jesus did that sometimes, right? But, but his bigger message was getting on that cross and calling people forgiven. The, when you have a mindset of I am forgiven, it leads to freedom from the sin cycle. <clears throat> I know you're quiet because you're thinking deeply. You're going, really? Does it? Honestly? I've wanted that. Focusing on sin makes you more of a sinner. Okay, Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. How about that? Let's go to 14. For sin will have no dominion over me over you, since you are not under law, but you're under grace, Paul writes. The law breeds rebellion, right? Which is basically the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? It breeds more rebellion. But listen, forgiveness produces what I call the freedom not to, right? It's like a, it produces a freedom in you to make a choice toward righteousness. I'm forgiven my identity starts to change and now I start to behave out of that new identity as a forgiven person and as someone who's been called righteous, I'm now prone to righteousness, right? Come on, somebody, that's good news. First John 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? If we get into that place, we, can, we have somewhere to run really quickly. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to I just give you a little picture and a moment here because we stumble, right? Um, we'll get further into that, but we stumble. And the word sin is called missing the mark. We're not always 100% aligned with God's will, his ways, and his purposes. Amen? Are you with me? I know that you're a very righteous people, but I'm, I'm appealing to your realness right now. <laughs> okay. In that moment when you confess, and that is still a thing, confess, repentance is still a thing. Repentance means to change your mind and think differently about these things. In that moment when you feel sorrowful, you feel regretful, let me just pause and say, you can't feel sorrowful enough in order to make God forgive you. Right? Can you cry enough? Repeat, I'm sorry, enough is a hundred times enough, depending on the level of sin. Oh, now we're, in a, now we're in some weird religion, aren't we? No, in that moment, you confess and you get realigned. What's most important in that interaction that you have with the Father in that moment is to receive his forgiveness. That is what will break that cycle, in, and that is what will allow you then to step away from whatever it is that you dabbled in or the place that you went or the thing that you did. Does that make sense, somebody, this morning? It breaks the cycle of sin when in that moment you don't just confess and you don't just repent, but you say, 
I receive your forgiveness for me. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. When you live as a forgiven person on this side of the cross, this is what it results in. You experience a righteousness consciousness. Number two, a righteousness consciousness as opposed to a sin consciousness. So I stopped saying this years ago. Somebody preached it. I don't remember who. Somebody, some, it sounded, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Come on, you've heard that, right? I am just a sinner saved by grace. How about Paul writing to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth? Come on, have you read Corinth recently? They didn't know how to behave themselves. He's calling them saints. It's a little odd, don't you think? No, he's calling out their new identity, whether or not they had learned 100% how to behave themselves. He was, he was appealing to their new identity in Christ. And then out of that identity, you take on what I call a righteousness consciousness. You know, when you call somebody a sinner, guess what they do? More sin. When you call yourself a sinner, you are actually enticing yourself toward more sin. Right? When you identify with Christ and saying, I am the righteousness of Christ, you start, your new identity then says, <clears throat> I'm prone toward righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 6.19, Paul says again, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul was getting a new identity in and of himself. Instead of being a slave to sin, he says in somewhere else, I am now a slave unto righteousness. What does that mean, slave to righteousness? It's a, it's a freedom from condemnation, which he also wrote. It's a, <clears throat> that's in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Free from condemnation, free from shame, produces a righteousness consciousness whereby, and I'll get this, when I was once prone to sin, I am now prone Toward righteousness. I like to put it this way. It actually, make, it actually makes sense. Who here has ever been tempted to do something wrong? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus was tempted? You like to think about that, right? He was tempted, meaning, meaning he experienced that he had to think about the idea of doing something wrong against his heavenly father. Get that. He did not sin. Temptation is not the sin, right? But you know what it's like to go, I really want to do this. No, that's wrong. I can't do that. That's not who I am, right? And Jesus, Jesus whipped, <laughs> whipped the devil's butt big time just by quoting his own scriptures. And he's like, no, that's not who I am, right? But get this. The same way you experience temptation towards sin, when you're a Christian, when you're a new covenant Christian, and now you have a righteousness consciousness, what Paul is saying is that I am always being tempted to do something right. I feel this overwhelming desire inside of me, almost uncontrollable, almost like I need deliverance, but no, this is actually, I'm being possessed by something awesome. I'm being possessed now by the right thing. I'm being overtaken by something, and I'm always tempted. I feel like a slave to good stuff. Always thinking about how to help someone, pray for someone, love someone, forgive someone. I'm a slave to righteousness. That is what happened. Does it mean you always make that choice? 
But Paul was saying, I now have a new inside. I have a new mind. I have the mind of Christ. I used to just always be tempted toward ungodliness, even murder. But now I am prone because of my righteousness consciousness. I wake up and I go, oh my gosh, my body wants me to do more right things. This is crazy. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah. Can I get a Berks County amen? amen? Joseph Prince, I like how Joseph Prince says it. He's like, you can't do right unless you learn to think right. If you don't think right, you won't do right. What's most important is what you believe first about yourself and your position in Christ, amen? And then you can actually behave righteously. Shall we move on? Number three. When you have a forgiveness mindset, what you experience is this thing called grace empowerment. Somebody say grace, grace. Empowerment. empowerment. I want to preach this to you because it's very important, and I love this idea of grace. And so grace is known as unmerited favor, like you got something that you did not deserve, right? You can't earn it. You received it. But what it also means um, another definition at different places in Scripture, um, it also means imparted strength. You actually receive something into yourself when you receive the grace of God. Um, it, it pops up, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when, uh, when, when Paul heard God say, you know, in, in his weakness, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he's like, basically, uh, my grace is like an imparted power in you to sustain whatever it is you're going through. Raise your hand if you need some of that imparted power for daily living. Amen. I know I do. <clears throat> for the law was given through Moses, John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 14. Again, I read that. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but you are under grace. In grace, under grace. One of the best stories that I like from the New Testament that just demonstrates um, grace empowerment, in my opinion, uh, is from John 8. And I can't read the whole thing. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit because it's when um, they brought this woman before Jesus, right? She was caught in adultery. How do you like, how do you like how they treated women back then? Come on, just makes you pause. Go, right? Let's bring the, drag the woman before Jesus. Who knows where the dude was? Apparently, she was caught in the act with somebody and they left him run away, but they caught her, right? And they expected Jesus to agree that the law was that she should be stoned, you know, for commitment committing adultery, right? <clears throat> and Jesus was so wise in that moment. It's one of his mo most wisest moments, you know, where, where he's looking at them. He's like, okay, all of you that want to stone her to death, you know, if anyone's without sin, you can cast the first stone. And then it says he paused and he started writing stuff. And to this day, the theologians have, um, have loved to debate what Jesus might have been writing. But my favorite one, and we don't know if it's true because none of us were there. <laughs> don't you wish? But, but, but I like the idea that he was writing on the ground, probably in the very similar scenario um, to what they were condemning her for. And, and uh, I, like, I like how Chris Hodges says that he's from the Church of Highlands in Alabama. And in his story is the funniest. He says it in an Alabama twang. He says he was writing on the ground. He looked at one of the Pharisees and wrote, Mary. And he looked at another Pharisee and wrote, Joni, uh, the women that they committed adultery with, for example. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't there, and I don't know what he was writing, but I thought it was really funny because basically what he was saying to them in that whole scenario is if you're without sin, you get to cast the first stone. One by one, as Jesus was writing, they dropped their stones, right? And they walked away. 
And they walked away with their heads down sorrowfully. <laughs> and then I want to read this. Jesus stood up after they had all gone. And he said to the woman, where are they? And has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Now listen to this very carefully. This is what our generation would like to stop reading right there. And if it steps on your big toe, I don't want it to. I want you to, to catch something. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, this is the way I like to see it. Breaking accusation and breaking condemnation and offering someone forgiveness and receiving forgiveness is not just some sweet words of Jesus. They release what I call a grace empowerment. The ability to go and sin no more and break that cycle of sin. See, Jesus didn't just say, neither do I condemn you. I break off the condemnation. I break off uh, <clears throat> the accusation. Now I'm extending forgiveness toward you. But in that moment, she is receiving something from him. If she rightly does it, her story ends there. You don't exactly know. But he, is, he, is, he would not tell her to do something that she was not empowered to do. But now she could go, and from that place, that interaction with Jesus in a proper way, go and live a different life. Do you know that everybody Jesus spent time with started to live a different life? How about Zacchaeus, the woman at the well? Can we go on and on and on? Jesus didn't dabble in what they were dabbling in to reach them. He brought them out, but he did it in such a powerful way. There was such a grace empowerment that their encounter with Jesus left their lives so upset and turned over that they said, I am now empowered to live differently. Hallelujah, somebody. Is that good news? I think it is. Amen. <clears throat> the old covenant, hallelujah. The old covenant is this. If you stop sinning, I will turn and forgive you. They tried for a couple thousand years, and they weren't able to do it. <laughs> Have you read the Old Testament lately? They couldn't do it. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, and it's still quoted, but, but if you think about it, it's Old Covenant. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, which they weren't able to do for thousands of years, by the way, then I'm going to hear from heaven, and then I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal, heal their land. If you properly turn away and stop your wickedness, which they couldn't do until they had Jesus to do his completed work, right? New covenant now, it's, come on, it's a different paradigm of somebody. Is this picking at you? I, I'm sorry if I messed up your favorite verse. But it's a new paradigm. The new covenant says, I've forgiven you, now you're empowered to stop sinning. And it's all dependent on how we receive how we believe and how we receive it and how we apply it. Amen? Our forgiveness is finished. Now let's live like it. <laughs> Would you stand with me today? You're such an awesome audience. <clears throat> Some of you look a little worried. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing you. Every weekend, um, maybe almost every weekend, I don't want you to leave this place if you don't know the gospel. And I don't want you to leave this place. If, if you're here today and you're just not sure that you know this Jesus that we're preaching, this, this person who has died on the cross, he gave it all. And he said, it is finished. It is completed. If this is a God, if this is a Jesus that you haven't fully embraced 
and made him your personal Lord and your personal Savior. We would like to help you launch that journey today. If you're watching online, pray with us as well. This is the way we would do it. We'd like to pause, give you an opportunity to respond by raising your hand, and then we will simply pray with you. We'll pray all together. We won't call you front. We won't make you go to a, a certain side room to pray for you. <laughs> but you know, we, we simply want to help you jumpstart that relationship with Jesus Christ by declaring a thing, right? And then we go from here. So let's all just close our eyes for just a moment. We just do this to give people personal space so you're not thinking about your neighbor. If you're here this morning and saying, I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior, would you just kindly raise your hand real high so I can see it? And we're gonna just enjoy praying with you for a moment. Anybody else? I see a hand. I see two hands. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you. Three, this is lovely. The angels are jumping up and down right now. Hallelujah. They're celebrating in heaven. Anybody else before we move on? Thank you, God. You're so good. Four, three, four, five. I love it. I love it. I love it. Wow, somebody. Thank you, Lord. This is such a fun day. <clears throat> Prayer. I know. The angels are so rejoicing right now. Let's all pray together. Let's pray with our brothers and sisters that are saying yes to the fullness of Jesus Christ today. Let's all pray together. Father God, thank you for your plan of salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for the finished work of the cross. I repent of all my sins. Every time that I miss the mark, I fully receive your forgiveness. You are my Lord, and you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, fill me completely. Empower me to forgive others who have sinned against me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Let's applaud all those again who said yes to Jesus. We're so thankful for you. We would like to know that if you said yes to Jesus today, we would love for you to stop by what we call the Next Steps kiosk. It's right through that door um, setting in the lobby. Uh, there's two things. We would love to hear from you. If you would like to share with us who you are, we can pray with you um, and, and, and help you on your journey. But we'd also like to send a book home with you. I forgot to bring a copy here. It's a black book, just basic tenets of the Christian faith that you, we would love for you just to dive into. It's an easy read, and it's, and it's a, a very cool book just to help you start your journey um, um, along with your Bible. Amen, somebody? Well, listen, um, the other thing we have before you go is called prayer teams. We would love to agree with you. They're usually either down here or down here. And if you have anything at all related to the message or not, we would love to just agree with you and hang out with you a bit and, 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 and contend heaven for what you need a breakthrough in. Amen. So finally, we still have coffee. We'd like to let it there to the end of the service. Why? So that you can grab a cup, say hi to somebody, especially someone you haven't yet met. We would love for you to hang out a bit and get to know this beautiful a uh, family that we call the Grace Church family. And, and until next Sunday, um, I just pray that you experience God's blessing, God's incredible favor, and of course, God's love and forgiveness. Amen. One more round of applause to say, yes, Jesus, <clears throat> we love you. We love you, Lord. Let me thank you for the finished work of the cross. You are dismissed, and it's, I'm delighted to be with you and see you next week. <laughs>